the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast was presented by The Athletic. Sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. Download the app, personalize it with your favorite teams and leagues, and get brand new real time articles ad free every day. Visit theathletic.com slash SpotTrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off your first year subscription today. That's theathletic.com slash SpotTrack. We are also presented by Balance Bridge Funding, providing cost-friendly capital solutions to athletes since 2015. Balance Bridge understands the industry, can customize a payment plan catered to your client's specific financial objectives, borrow wisely, avoid broker fees, and there's no penalties when you pay it back early, and many do. Whether your client is under contract and needs a bridge against current guarantees, a free agent looking to invest in their next contract, or looking to borrow money for any other reason, let Balanced Bridge take a look, provide a solution, and be your resource today. Visit balancedbridge.com. My name is Mike Giannetti. Happy Thursday morning. A little bit late on this podcast for specific reasons. I kind of wanted to see how things would percolate last night in a few areas, one of them being Major League Baseball and the other with Odell Beckham. I'm going to start with Beckham. Because, look, we're learning here. And this was a unique situation. It, it, it was from the onset, you know, him kind of pushing himself out and then agreeing to the settlement. And now we've kind of learned through the tea leaves and with some help from Pro Football Talk that part of the settlement is a situation that relies to, to the offset language in the contract. There was offset language in his previous contract. So, you know, for all intents, that generally means he's going to get paid. Somebody else pays him. And the Browns would be off, you know, would reduce their hit based on what he earns from his next team. That's how the offset language generally works. However, and uh, hat tip to Pro Football Talk for this this shout out last night on Twitter to me. What's happened here is as part of the settlement is they took the guaranteed salary for 2021, and whatever was remaining, the 7.25 million, converted into termination pay. So they treated it as though he was a you know, a veteran who had non-guaranteed salary left and they were just going to lop it off and pay him some sort of settlement. That's how they were able to say then, okay, we're taking $3 million away from that per OBJ's request, just a pay cut. The $4.25 million now is solidified as termination pay. So that is no longer part of the, of the previous contract that had offset language. It is $4.25 million wrapped in a bow. It's going to be his 100%, regardless of what he signs for, on his next team. So that's a bit of an update. That's a correction on my part based on a tweet I had last night. And it's good news for OBJ. It means he's going to double dip for the rest of 2021 with his new team and that 4.25 million. So that does change my perspective on what he might sign for with the new team, knowing now that there's five, six teams in Chiefs, Saints, Packers, uh, Patriots, Maybe a few more that I'm missing out. Those are probably the big four at this point. Those teams now, and we know the Packers have offered the minimum. That may come up because there's probably a bidding war happening a little bit here. So, so to me, the new bar for his contract is probably $3 million, right? I mean, if that's what he forfeited, that's what he's willing to give up off that termination pay, that's probably what he's looking to recoup. Obviously, more is better. But if I'm one of those teams, that's probably the threshold I'm, I'm going at. I'm starting at the bottom, at the minimum salary. And maybe with incentives or per gamers or something, I'm going to get it up to that $3 million. That's my high bar 
to try to win this bid. So things have changed slightly in that regard. He's going to double dip. He may have a little bit more into this contract. He may sign a multi-year contract. You know, this is a, a bit of a unique situation where a player is, ha, has, you know, he's the right age. He does have the ceiling still. You know, he's not a hundred catch guy anymore, I don't believe, nor nor do any of these teams that, that are going to be signing him going to need that out of him, right? They're not going to pair him with Devontae Adams and expect him to have gigantic production. Same with Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. You know, the the Saints situation is a little bit unique, and that's why I favor it because Thomas is out. I'm not sure Thomas ever plays for, for the Saints again. You know, his contract has an out next year. I think there's a chance that he's completely done with that with that contract in New Orleans. So OBJ has a chance to maybe step in, jump in with Harris, Callaway, a couple of the kids, and really formulize that wide receiver arsenal. And if he thinks that he wants to do that over a few years, then sign the multi-year contract right now. My vote would be, let's limp into this give ourselves options next March, make sure it's it's a good fit there, make sure you like the Sean Payton system, blah, 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 then sign. But it's possible that, the, you know, the way that the Saints win this race here, this bidding race, is to offer a multi-year contract with a little bit of guaranteed money in 2022. So there's more on the table than I had originally anticipated financially because of this caveat. And thanks again to Pro, Pro Football Talk for the hat tip. All right, real quick, Scott Boris. Uh, every year he does this, he gets to the winter meetings and he sort of has his state of the union. Truly, this is what it is. And a lot of people laugh at this because he's an agent, but Scott Boris is one of the most powerful figures in major league baseball has been for years and continues to be. This is a guy that when, when things fall his way and three or four of his free agents are available, much of which they are this year, by the way, he's got three to four prominent free agents he can be worth a billion dollars in any given winter, truly. So he gives this speech on sort of where he thinks baseball is, needs to be, and it couldn't be more important than this year as we are three weeks away from what most of us believe will be a work stoppage, a, you know, a, a lockout in Major League Baseball as this new CBA is, is hammered together slowly, slowly, slowly. The, I, I was interested to see where he was going to go with this year's discussion. Um, and look, he kind of uh, leaned into where we th- we all are, including Major League Baseball Players Association, which is the competitive imbalance. I like where he took it, though. I disagree a little bit. I agree a lot of it with where he took it, which was we have to start at the bottom with this. And Cousin Dan and I kind of talked about this a little bit with the idea of the rookie wage scale formalizing a more, you know, a tighter knit entry level contract structure for these new players, these young players versus let's get them in. Let's pay them a few years minimum. Let's let them go through arbitration and let the court system figure out how much they're worth. Then we'll let them go and cash in at 28, 29 years old. No question. He is against that. And he's certainly against the manipulation part of the service time because one of his guys is Chris Bryant, who is the father figure of that right now. But his idea was, and he called out the Braves and I get it. He's not invested in the Braves too much here. And the Braves just won in a very unique fashion. They were an average team through June, right? Until July, till mid-July, truly. I mean, you can look at them at August 1st and say, holy cow, how did this team win the the World Series? Well, they won it by four big trade acquisitions on July 31st. And that's where his gripe starts. His gripe basically says, okay, he poached Cleveland. They poached 
Kansas City. They poached Miami. Right, they went all over the, the landscape to get four legitimate players that that had huge impacts throughout the rest of their season and postseason. And good for the Braves, and I think that was his sentiment. Good for the Braves, hell of a GM job. But why are those teams selling? And, and that's where he's going. And I like this discussion. Why are those teams selling those players? Well, a most were on expiring contracts, except for Duvall, who's got one year of arbitration left. And that was never going to be a figure that Miami was going to pay. B, there's no reason not to. And this is where he's going. And I'd like to go there a little bit. July 31st for half the league. And I believe the number he gave was 15. Looking ahead to next year, he believes there are 17 teams right now that are walking into these winter meetings that actually care about winning in 2022, which means there's 15 that don't or 13 that don't, excuse me. All right. And July 31st of any given year, that number could be 20, 20 teams that know, oh, we're going backwards, not forwards. Let's start to sell off parts. It's the selling off of parts that he's against. This is where I differ a little bit um, because I'm going to bring the Braves back into it to have a little bit of a discussion in that regard. You can't get those four players if you don't have the assets to acquire them. Right. Yes, those teams are looking to sell Kansas City, Miami, Cleveland. They're looking to sell. They're looking to shed payroll and they're looking to acquire some assets, be it a player, be it, you know, whatever. But the Braves went through three, four, five years where all they did was acquire those assets. They built internationally. They built through their draft. They were they were in a window. They were last year. It didn't work out. They certainly were this year. They're going to be next year as well. So. It's cyclical. And, and, the, and the Braves being on the, on the receiving end just meant that they had done their work over a six to seven year period to get to this point. And they had the assets that Cleveland wanted, that Kansas City wanted to be able to do that in July. So I, I don't want to knock the trade deadline as this, it should never be an active thing because I think that's where he's headed is half the league shouldn't be looking to sell off their parts of the trade deadline. Well, I think that's good for baseball. I think that's very good for, and healthy for the sport. It's 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 a talking point. Transactions are interesting. Like you know, Max Scherzer leaving town—that's big news for baseball. That, that that we want that to happen every year, you know. And Washington was doing the right thing for their franchise. So I I don't believe, you know. And by the way, Washington is a contentious play for him because of you know Juan Soto. That's his guy. And Scott Boris plus Juan Soto over the next two years is going to be one of the most interesting discussions we have because we know how big that contract should be, but is it going to be there because of this discussion? Washington now has to go and rebuild. They have to, to, to acquire. They have to draft. They have to sign internationally just to keep Juan Soto happy. That, that's what that franchise is going to be all about for the next 18 months. And Scott Boris is going to be sitting there with a microscope making sure everything goes properly or he's going to get Soto the hell out of town. So I do like where he's going with this because I do believe that the rookie system should be refined and increased financially. In other words, and he said this, it's way too cost-friendly value to draft a player, you know, manipulate their timeline a little bit, then bring them in at age 20, 21, 22, and... Burn them out. Burn them out for three years. 
on a combined 2 million over three years. It's way too cost effective to do that. And this is sort of the NFL discussion a little bit, right? We're, we're getting there with these rookie quarterback situations where half the league's on a rookie quarterback contract and there's a bit of an abusive situation happening. Same thing with the franchise tag there. Bit of an abusive situation happening. We've had that discussion before. I think Boris is foreshadowing where that's going and the NFL is showing to us exactly what it could be where everybody's now looking to get young, cheap, value, effectiveness. That's bad for baseball. And, and the way to fix it, and he's right, is to inflate the cost of the rookie, especially the drafted rookies, right? The ones that are supposed to be diamonds in a rough, the first, maybe the first five or four rounds, and the international guys. It should be way harder, way harder to sign an international player than bringing a guy in on a flyer for $10,000, okay? It, it should be way harder. I think we have to formalize that process get it into more of a financial structure so that one specific team can't load up on three of those guys. Now there is a bonus pool. There is, a, there is, you know, some sort of box to, that you have to live in and there's fines and things like that levies that, that, that lower the amount of bonus pool you have for the international. So they have done a decent job of getting us there. But to me, he's right. It's, it, it's too attractive to just start over and go back to the draft and back to the bonus pool and try to replenish your team and drop your payroll from 100 million to 50 million. You can do that in any given season. And, and the way to start doing that is where he attacked, is July 31st, shed three or four guys off your roster, just like Washington did, just like Miami did, just like Kansas City did. That's way too easy. And the incentive to do it is way too good. So I agree with him. Part of this discussion, you know, and, and maybe it's not about our change in arbitration and lowering the lug or you know raising the luxury tax. And yes, we need a floor. We absolutely need a floor. He wasn't going to say it. We need the salary floor, the luxury tax threshold floor, so that everybody has to spend. I I believe in expanded playoffs because then you now add. If he thinks seventeen teams are are trying next year, if you expand the postseason now, now maybe that number's twenty, and I think twenty is a good number. So to me, that's an easy fix. Not a lot of people are going to like it because it's going to devalue some things, but I believe that's an easy fix. And then two, and then three, I like where he's headed. Let's make a, a formal inflated salaried rookie wage scale in Major League Baseball that says, okay, look, you can go and tank for your first round pick. You know, I don't think they're going to change the way the draft works, by the way, where the worst team doesn't get the first pick. That's too big of a fish to, to, to try to reel in right now. But if that first round pick cost more than $10,000, which is what it is right now, you know, at football, it's 35 million. By the way, it's not 10,000, it's $10 million, excuse me. <laughs> it's 35 million right now for the number one overall pick, you know, over 40 when you, when you talk about the full, the full contract. Why is that the case? Why is it so cost effective to get a number one overall pick in baseball if where we're headed is that player is going to be, you know, triple A, you know, double A, triple A for, for a year and a half. And then he's in bang, which is for all intents, how it works in the NFL. You know, maybe there's a, there's a six to 12 week wait, and then they're in, in the NFL on a $40 million contract. So I agree with him that let's inflate those prices. Let's make it a little less attractive to try to just tank for those big picks because you're going to have to pay one way or another. Then you're either paying 25 million for the number one pick or you're going to pay $25 million to keep some of your players 
you know, on, on a, on a small bridge, little guaranteed contract. That's where it has to happen to me. To me, those, those minds have to meet a little bit. We want players to stay. We want players to go to free agency and get traded too. Don't get me wrong. I'm a big transaction guy, but right now it's burn them out, toss them out. Let's go back to the draft. That's too prevalent with half the league and that's got to change. So I agree with them in that regard. I don't necessarily agree with let's limit the trade deadline and devalue that a little bit. Nope. I think that has to increase if anything for the right reasons, but totally agree with what he's saying about let's start at the bottom and fix that first. Okay. Let's bring in Scott Allen. We're going to talk uh, fines and suspensions in the NBA and the NFL, kind of how it works, where that money goes. Some of the things that have happened recently, certainly Aaron Rodgers, certainly the uh, Jokic situation in the NBA and uh, just some nerdy numbers on how that all works. All right, Scott, about three weeks, four weeks. Yeah. About a month now into this NBA season. One of the things you do on a daily basis, and I know it's uh, it's a labor of love, is you're tracking the day-to-day process of these box scores in the NBA. And what part of that, I would imagine a lot of that, is the technical foul situation, which is sort of back in the news in the NBA with the, with the Joker situation, his ejection, his suspension. Let's have a kind of an overarching discussion on money lost to fines because there's especially right now in the NBA, there's a bunch of avenues where this is relevant, right? There's Ben Simmons and his situation. There's the on the court stuff. And then what we can do is at the back end of this, Scott, is we'll flip over to the NFL. We'll talk COVID Rogers a little bit and and the numbers that were thrown out there. And as a whole, let's start here. What happens to this money? So Markeith Morris is fined, you know, Jimmy Butler is fined in, in 2021 that comes off his base salary and it goes where NBA charities that they designate for the year, the league, right? The league does this through their, the league does that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so I'll get it out off the top. The NFL does the same thing, but it's a little bit more poignant. The money actually goes directly to the NFL legends foundation, which is retired players that benefit process, the pensions, things like that. So, and I actually like that. I think it's one of the things they were doing 100% right. So when we're talking about Rodgers and those kind of things, it's kind of ironic that him being fined for this, for what he's done or hasn't done, is actually helping a lot of people now financially. Probably something they should have done a little bit more wholesale. But uh, let's get back to the NBA. I guess let's start with Simmons because we bring him up a lot. He's back to being fined or was that just a one-game scenario the other night? From all indications that I've seen, it's still ongoing. So I'm still tracking it until I hear otherwise. So it's an indefinite every game check he's being fined right now because he is not complying with the team. Basically the team saying you have to go through our medical process. It's kind of like a TB12 thing, right? Like you got to do it our way. You can't do it your way. We have to be able to check in on you and he's not. So it's $360,000 every time there's a game right now. Right. And, and until I hear otherwise that they've stopped finding him again, I'm going to continue to to track it. And if I have to go back and remove, then I'll go back and remove. If I find out they cut off at a point that I wasn't aware of. But right now, yeah, you're right. Three hundred and sixty thousand uh, dollars per game. That's the uh, negotiated rate of one divided by 91.6 that the league and the PA came up with. Uh, So right now Simmons 
in those game checks, a little over $2.5 million. That does not include all the off-court fines, the hmm. uh, not going to meetings and team-related events. So there, I believe Woj had floated out there. It was close to $4 million, and that's including all of those off-court hmm. things. This is strictly just the game because that's what I'm able to easily track. I don't know if you'll have this answer. Maybe you've seen it somewhere. We, we talked about how his, his compensation this year was being split. Um, June 1st, July 1st, October 1st, something like that. There was yep. a three-way split, which the last yep. October 1st, that was right around the time where they decided, no, this isn't going to happen. You know, you're gonna, he's going to be sitting on the sidelines and we're not going to pay him. So that last, I think it's $8.25 million, not in his hands. Are they are the 76ers just funneling that money directly to the NBA via these fines? Or do you think the money is coming out of Ben Simmons' pocket directly? No, from what I understand, they're they've thrown the money into escrow and then they will reduce out of the escrow instead of having to go through Ben Simmons' hands. Okay. So Ben Simmons essentially gets to keep his eight and his nine million and change from that first payment. I guess probably the 18 million total for the first two payments or 17 million or so. So he has been paid something this year, good money this year to right. sit around and do what he's doing right now. All right. Enough of that. Cause that's kind of the outlier here. Well, I guess we have to flip the Kyrie. Don't we? <laughs> we yeah, is he's there, similar is there a situation that, that differs between the two a little bit? Yeah, there is. Kyrie's getting fined for only for home games and in any Madison Square Garden games right now. So he's being charged uh, $381,000 or a little over that per similar to Simmons. It's one divided by 91.6 to get out of his uh, salary. The thing with him is, like I said, home games only. So right now they're on a six game away streak. Those are not getting hit for him right now. They they started off two games away, and then they came for a six-game home streak. Those six games he was fined for right now, he is not being fined for. When he comes back to New York for those home games, he'll be fined again. Let me ask you this. Is there, because you're using the term fined, which is probably appropriate, is there is there a difference in not being paid you know, withholding the salary for COVID protocol purposes versus directly being fined. Does anything else go along with that, Scott? Well, in this case, the from what I understand, these fines that are happening right now have no cap or luxury tax mm -hmm. implication for reduction. So if a in Joker, which we're going to get to in a second how, with how much he's lost, he is being suspended by the league. So he has a slight reduction on his luxury tax value because the league has hit him. Now, when a, a team suspends a, uh, a player, that reduction for the luxury tax does not come off. It's only when yeah. the league happens. Which makes sense because you could game the system, and we all know right. how some teams would absolutely be doing that right now. Yes. Um, okay. So for, so for Kyrie to finish off with him, he's missed uh, $3 million so far, and that includes preseason. So it's a total of eight games that they've been at home that he has been uh, reduced salary. 
Okay, over three million for Kyrie, around four million according to Woj for Simmons. All right, so here's the question for you. Because on this track, I mean, he's going to start bleeding money quickly here, Ben Simmons. On this track, take us to the projected trade deadline. I believe that's February 10th in 2022. Mm-hmm. At that point, how much total, right? The uh, off-the-court stuff already, plus these game checks being lost. How much will Ben Simmons have forfeited at the trade deadline? A little over $15 million. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's more than the $8.25 million that... Correct. Philadelphia has withheld. So where does that, where does that take us? If they, if we just say, okay, they're going to expunge that 8.25 million out of the escrow for these fines. At what point does that expire? Mm. What date? 12, six, December 6th, which is about 12 more games, which is interesting, which is very interesting because the, uh, Players that signed as free agents, the majority of them, their trade restrictions get lifted on twelve fifteen. Okay, so it's right around the corner. Okay, so so why did, did did I ask that question? Right, because the reason I asked the questions to you in the order that I did is a I wanted to ensure that the escrow pay account was being used for the fines. It you believe it is. So on twelve six in twelve or thirteen games or so, Philadelphia's going to have to start going after Ben Simmons' money that he, they've already paid him. And basically saying, okay, Ben, you've got to now fund three hundred sixty thousand dollars that I've already paid money to to the to the league per this fine. That's we don't think that's happening now. That's going to happen in thirteen games. The reason I'm making a big deal out of this, and it sounds lame, that that's just going to be a turning point for him. That's it's going to be some sort of wake up call. You know what I mean? Like right now, he's losing money. He doesn't even know he has. He he knows he's losing the money. He's not an idiot. His agent's not an idiot. But there's going to be a reality check in 13 games when the league basically sends him an invoice right, for $360,000 that's already been paid to him it, from these first two installments. So to me, there could be that could be a, a, a flag in the in the ground point with this Ben Simmons situation. And you bring up a great point. Then a few days later, a lot more people become available to be traded as well. So that could be the perfect storm of two things happening that could really push this thing forward. Yeah, and one of the things that could happen is they could still throw those game checks into escrow and not pay him at all and reduce it from those the escrow and just build upon. Well, you got to remember they've there. already paid him two gigantic installments. So right, they have. He's he has this cash, I would assume. So at some point they're going to have to go to him directly and say, "All right, you owe the league this and this and this." And to me, that's going to be a wake up call. I don't know if it'll do anything with Daryl Morey because he is foot in the ground waiting for a superstar to come back to him. And I get it. But financially speaking, this is at least one angle we can look at and say, look, there's going to be some sort of change to this system uh, at this point in time. Kyrie, that's all on him. Nothing to say there. If he wants to change things, he can change things. And that's his prerogative, of course. Let's talk about the non-COVID related stuff and the non... uh, get me the hell out of town stuff, I guess. Uh, you mentioned Jokic, uh, Jokic that that was a, a big time situation for November basketball. What are the financial ramifications of that? And do you think that it's about right? Because I'm going to talk NFL in a little bit here and it's very objective. It's all over the board. Tell me that the NBA has a little bit more substance and formula to how they dole these things out. Oh, they absolutely do. So in Jokic's situation, 
he's fine or he gets fined for his one game suspension, which is a little over $210,000. How they come up with that is any uh, suspension that is less than 20 games, it's one divided by 145 of your, of his base compensation in this case. So $210,000 where it comes out 50% of that, as I mentioned earlier, comes off of the luxury tax amount that would be uh, assessed towards his luxury tax value. Mm -hmm. Um, If for some instance, in this case it's not, but in some instance that a suspension is 20 games or more, that one divided by 145 is reduced to one out of 110. Um, So for more lengthy suspensions, the, the amount comes down in his case and, other cases is one divided by 145. What about the fines though? Is there sort of a set to, um, you know, if you do this, if you go into the crowd or if you push a, an official or if you're mouthing off or whatever, I mean, I mean, you know, the NFL does have a spreadsheet of if you do this, then this is the recommended dollar amount. And I have to say that with air quotes, because I'm telling you it's all over the board. Is it the same with the NBA? Yeah, yeah, they have a maximum amount of fines and, you know, they have uh, failure to attend basketball related programs or um, other. They have a list of different items that fall Uh, for Morris's case. He had a flagrant two foul and he was fined the maximum amount of fifty thousand dollars before a player can file a grievance. So that's the maximum amount that he was hit with. Jimmy Butler was hit with $30,000 for escalating the altercation, but also (laughs) not complying with the NBA security interview process with what was going on. So, um, Oh, he didn't, he didn't give a statement or anything like that. Is that what it is? Yeah. He wasn't complying with the NBA after the fact. So they dinged him 30 grand. All right. But there's a little bit of a, uh, a formula to it, which I guess is good. Yeah. Yeah. There's at least a matrix or a a maximum value amount that could be fined for certain instances. Has it gotten, let me ask you this question, because we've been doing this now for the better part of, you know, a decade and a half. And I know you haven't been tracking these that entire time, but do you see waves? Are there trends with NBA infractions to this degree? Or, or is it just a randomness that with this stuff? Because I do see, it's interesting with the NFL, Scott, because there's so many ways to, to get dinged, to get fined, mm-hmm. to get suspended, to get on sports when like conduct penalties has certainly been a hot topic that it kind of feels like the league does do it. And I, I believe there is an early season uh, mantra to this, that the league does have internal discussions to say, hey, you know, this is getting a little bit out of control over here. Let's take an entire week across the league, every game, and really clamp down on X. And you'll see it. Or they'll take matters into their own hands. And after the fact, the, sometimes they'll find they'll find players for something that wasn't even a penalty on the field. And, and that's where I, I'm lost. Because where's the accountability to the middleman on that? But I think... Right. Uh, the that's how random and objective the NFL system is, even though I'm looking right now at a spreadsheet that says, you know, if you have a late hit on a player and it's your first offense, it's going to be $10,000. I'm telling you right now that can be changed. It's based on the severity of it. If it's late and also near the head, if it's late and it's a quarterback, 
you're getting dinged more. I'm just telling you, like there's ways around all of these numbers. Nothing is set in stone. And this is why it drives people bonkers. At the same time, we've talked about this a lot, especially with baseball. It drives people bonkers. <laughs> it's all people want to talk about for three days after the game. So the NFL's sitting there just, you know, logged out of Twitter probably, right? Thinking, great, <laughs> great. Everybody's talking about us. So I guess I, I understand the beast a little bit. I get it. They put this thing out there. There's this moniker to look at and they can adjust it up and down based on however they feel they need to because they run the referees and they are the referee of the referees. So do you see any of that in the NBA? Are there, for instance, Draymond, you know, lots of texts, mm-hmm. any player who's, who, who gets technical fouls all the time. I know there's a threshold with those and at some point you're suspended, but a player like Draymond, who is constantly in, in the spotlight with this, are his fines generally more because of multiple offenses, because of the the name that he wears? I, I, I'm not sure if there is a threshold for first offense, second offense. I, I, I believe there probably is internally. They that, don't make it public, though? I, I don't think they make it public. Those... Uh, the fines that Jimmy Butler and, and Morris got from all the trackings that I do, those are few and far between Yeah. as opposed to m- most of the fines that they get dinged with are technical fouls and ejections for on court stuff. The off court stuff I, I put in a handful every year, uh, but it's not something that um, it is happening all the time. Now I know there have been instances now that I r- recall where I, I've heard them say, Oh, he's done this before. He's had, he has a track record, not mm-hmm. saying Draymond, but other players. So I'm, I'm sure that goes into effect, but as far as the, the technical fouls and that kind of stuff, yeah, though, those do come in waves. You know, I, I will go a couple days with, not putting any technical fouls in. And then all of a sudden I'll, almost every game in a night will have technical fouls. And it was like, what was in the air <laughs> uh, for those games? Uh, so the, the majority of what I put in is technical fouls and ejections. This is a total tangent, but I want to go down this path as we transition to football a little bit, Scott, the unsportsmanlike call in the Steelers game, the taunting call. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard every side of this. I've had some fun with it on Twitter. There's no getting around it. It was a weird call. You know, I think 25% of the world thinks it's the right call because I don't know, maybe they're youth football coaches. <laughs> they don't want this stuff to infiltrate down to them. I get it. I, I get that side of it. I really do. But th- I'm sure you didn't see it live. You saw the highlight. He was 20 yards away, right. hand, hands on hips, staring at, you know, giving him the stare down, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem for me is, and, and it relates back to basketball here in a second. The problem for me is, is that it's a 15 yard penalty. So it, not only is it an automatic first down in almost every case, but it's half, it's half away to an ejection. It's an enforcement like, so one out of two gets you ejected there. So similar to a tech, right? Similar to a tech. Yeah. A technical foul comes with the $2,000 fine. And how many of those do you have to get before you're suspended for a game? Uh, your 16th technical 16. foul. 16. 16. Okay. And 
one technical foul equals what on the court in terms of the game? Free throw. <laughs> Stop. That's the answer. <laughs> one free throw. <laughs> one point. This is the problem I have. Okay. Because the egregiousness that it takes to get a technical foul in a lot of cases is much more than taunting. Yeah. Unless the taunting turns into an altercation, at which point I can understand that. Okay. To me, what this is, is face mask versus excessive face mask. This is defensive holding versus defensive pass interference. This has to be changed tomorrow. Like not after the season. There's no, it changed the game. 15 yard penalty, first down, field goal was kicked. Those those points helped them win the game. It changed the game. And you can say whatever, one play shouldn't change a game. It, it changed the game. And, and There's no way mind. that that instance, that what he did should be that powerful of an infraction to do that much to the game when jumping over onto somebody's bench or pushing somebody at midcourt in basketball is a one-shot free throw and a $2,000 fine. No chance. There's no chance that those two things should exist in the same world to me. So it, it, this just had a, gave me some clarity with, with that whole scenario. And now that we're going down the NBA path because you're right. It's few and far between. This is the NFL clamping down on taunting. I give them all the rights to do so. It can't be a one and done. It can't be a one size fits all. And I think that was the perfect indication of that right there. That Steelers game. Just like there's a flagrant A or flagrant one and a flagrant two in basketball. They've made those designations and they're objective. Yep. And there's a yep. lot of back and forth on those when they're called. But there's a tech, there's a flagrant, there's a there's an extreme flagrant. And then there's a review process where suspensions happen and future fines are given out. To me, that's all correct. There's still plenty of room for movement and, and wiggle room like I'm talking about, but it, none of it impacts the game specifically uh, You know, enough to really move the needle a lot. You know, Yes, the ejection can happen. That'll certainly be a, a difference to the game if Kevin Durant is thrown out like it's happened here in a couple of times. But, but I, I just think that you can't have taunting... <laughs> be that impactful to a game when the penalty is called when the NBA is going this route and there's just a bigger, I mean, there, you, there's hundreds of technical fouls. Are there not hundreds? Oh, Oh yeah. Hundreds. It's one hundreds. of the biggest jobs you do all year round. Yes. Yes. So I, that's the beef I have with that. Let's, let's move on yep. to football. You have any, yeah, go ahead. Give me thoughts. Yeah. Let me finish off with these technical fouls. Cause it is, it's $2,000 for the first five and then it escalates 1000 for the next five. So it goes, 3,000 for six through 10, 4,000 oh, okay. for 11 through 15. So there is an escalating. And then it's 5K plus one game suspension for the 16th foul. And then it alternates. So your 17th would just be a 5K. Then 18th would be 5K plus another game suspension and goes through. Um, but, but, and, but my point is this, Scott, because I, I actually like that. I like that approach a lot. You're you're increasing the level of financial ramification but none of that has changed the game until the 16th techno foul. That's when the, that's when the game changes because of the suspension. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, unless that you had four technical fouls and you, they made four free throws and then you won by two points. Right. You can't but, have a, but, you can't have a whole team brawl. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, I, the other thing with technical fouls is, the league reviews all the plays and will rescind a technical foul. So there are sure. instances where if a technical foul was 
uh, assessed during the game, they'll put out a report that says this was rescinded. When I do see that, I reduce that money. I take it off and, and retroactive it. Um, and then subsequently, ejections. Every time a player gets ejected, it's a $2,000 increase. So first hmm. instance of an ejection, $2,000. Second instance, 4K, and it increases. And then all these technical fouls and ejections, they get wiped clean when the playoffs go in, and then it's a shrunk-down scaling for the playoffs specifically. Um, hmm. And, and I, I was curious because we've had six ejections already this season, so I was curious just to see you know, how many we've had that I've had to put in because I haven't looked in the last few years. So going back to the 17-18 season, there were 68 ejections, 18-19, 71 ejections. Wow. 19-20 was 44 ejections. That was the short season and then the bubble. 2021 season, 54 ejections. And then, like I just said, we're at six ejections right now. So, so what are we on pace for? Do you have that in front of you? I don't. I'd have to go through and see how many games that we've actually totally done and then yeah. extrapolate it out. Huh. Seems like it's declining. Do you think that's a referee's thing or is that a, a change in how the game is being played? Maybe. I think it could be how the game is being played because the game is spread out and more three point shooting instead of mm-hmm. down, down low and, you know, causing any of those kind of issues or, you know, ticky tack fouls and you, know, you get the shoving under the, under the basket. Um, so it, it could be a combination. We'll have to we'll have to see if it goes back to the trend that it had been at. Hmm. Okay. Good stuff. What do you think about Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> if I tell you uh, this is what he was fined. Okay. Yeah. Actually, let me do it this way. Uh, and I'm not here to have a political conversation. I'm going to give you the numbers. Let's just react to the numbers, and then we'll get the heck out of here. Okay. Sounds good. The Raiders in 2020. Last year, two different infractions for COVID-19 violations. They were fined a total of $800,000. Okay. Didn't they lose draft picks too? I believe that draft pick was rescinded, was, was given back to them. Okay. Um, the Saints did lose one. I believe the Patriots did lose one as well. The Saints were fined $700,000 for a couple of instances. The Patriots, three fifty. dollars The Titans, three fifty, dollars which is crazy because the Titans missed the game, if you remember. I do. That was the Tannehill situation and that, mm-hmm. that group practice. My, my thinking is there were internal fines. They had to pay for the lost game, for the, for the postponed game. So the league basically said, all right, you've done all that. Now we're still going to ding you this. So that's why that's not a bigger fine in my opinion. So we get to the Packers this year. The Packers were fined $300,000. So that's the, the least amount of all the teams I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers and Alan Lazard, who both kind of combined for this Halloween party, which was is being deemed the spreader situation, were fined fourteen thousand dollars and change. Just tell me where you thought that number was going to be. Higher or lower? Price is right. Higher. Okay, you thought it was going to be higher. More so for Rodgers, but higher. Here's the only reason I wanted it to be higher. He still got paid his game check. Right. To me, that's what should have gone away. You, you, should, have, you should have dinged him his game check for, for week How nine. much would that have been? How much would that have been? Well, here's the kicker. Because <laughs> in true Tom Brady fashion, 
they restructured his contract down to an almost minimum salary to save cap this year after he finally decided he was going to play football for the Packers, you know, three weeks ago. So a, a game check on that $1.1 million salary is $61,000. You're telling Still me more than 14. You're telling me you couldn't <laughs> just make that the fine and then give that explanation and say, that's what we're doing here. I think, I think everybody would have felt a heck of a lot better about it. Now I'm not advocating for Aaron Rodgers to lose money. That's not my, what I'm doing here. I'm just trying to put some logic to it because I just gave you a huge intro five minutes ago about how there's, it's just randomness. It's just randomness. Yeah. If I look at the fines and suspension sheet that the NFL posts publicly, okay, there is no $14,560 fine, which means they went off the board. They didn't have anything in place. Okay. Maybe there's some COVID protocol spreadsheet that I don't have access to where this is what you get dinged for a first offense on possibly. Okay. But it has nothing to do with his compensation. It's just a random, this is what you do for, for, do, for creating a Halloween party. <laughs> this is a Halloween party fine. All right. And it's going to change next time. I, I just have so much trouble with that. I, I really do. And not because I'm the one tracking it into, into a database every week, but because how do you explain it? You know, Isaiah McKenzie got fined 14650 Scott, for not wearing a mask once in, Bill's, in the Bills facility and getting caught. He got his vaccination the next day. So that's just the going rate for screwing up once, apparently. So that's what they said Aaron Rodgers has done. He screwed up once with COVID protocols. I think a lot of you think differently. I'm not going to say where I am on that conversation, but that's that's the going rate for a COVID-19 protocol violation. And, and there's no obviously no matrix for at the team level too, because if they're going from yeah. what, 800,000 down to 300,000 here, plus draft picks in some cases and not in the other cases. Yeah. Have you heard if there's been draft picks in this case or is it just the font? Straight no fine? draft picks. Okay. No draft picks. So in other words, it's, it's a lot more damaging to the foot, to the game of football to take some air out of the footballs <laughs> than it is to have concern about the health and safety of others. I think we'll leave it at that. Good stuff by you. All right. Have a good one. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for 40% off your first year. And of course, Balanced Bridge funding. Visit balancedbridge.com. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. Mm-hmm.